0: Over this past month, we have been considering the importance of the upcoming election. Um, I have guarded my words very carefully. No one should be able to say he's voting this way or he's voting that way. Um, I have not used a candidate's name, and I hope that you, though, have been thinking prayerfully, um, considering the messages that are a part of Scripture, how it is that you will be voting. It disturbs me that I've heard several persons say, that they think that they might just sit out this election because they're not sure that there are enough options for them that's a very sad state to be in i'm not talking about the state of of our nation as much as the state of the individual who believes that they would do themselves or anybody else any good by not going to the polls uh, It is crucial that we exercise our right to vote. In fact, we should count it a privilege um, that we have been given this opportunity. Um, The early Christians, if you remember those to whom the Apostle Paul was writing, did not have such a privilege. They did not have the option to choose who their governors would be. Uh, Rome had taken over the area by force, and even though they called it Roman peace, It was an extension of their power that kept peace in those areas. Those persons that the Apostle Paul was working in the midst of would have been fascinated with the idea that we get to choose whom our leaders will be. You and I, by our very act of voting, will sustain democratic principles and representative government not only in this generation, but in generations to come. And so I encourage you to go to the polls. We've been talking about the healing of our nation from the perspective of not only what we expect in our candidates, but what we should be expecting in ourselves. And we've been guided to the thoughts of humility and prayer and honesty. These are essential truths that you and I must make a part of our lives. And today we talk about the subject of contentment as guided by this passage of scripture that Justin has just read. In our home, we have had a number of movies that we call our favorites of all time. You may have this in your family as well. One of those near the very top of the list is one that took our took our culture by storm when I was a child. The name of the movie is Mary Poppins. How many of you would consider that near the top of your list still? I know with our daughters, it was, it was absolutely one of the most important movies and our VHS tape, which is now probably stored away in the attic somewhere, was nearly worn out playing that over and over again. There are so many characters in it that are fascinating, uh, Not the least of which is one whose name was Bert, played by Dick Van Dyke. Do you all remember the chimney sweep? And how he would, uh, he would come, he would show up covered with the dust of his job, the smut that had gotten on him from his work, and he would begin to dance. He was always so jovial and he had his, uh, his uh, chimney scraper in his hand and he would use it as a pole and he would dance around and he would just just be so spry. And he was so contented with his situation in life. He drew everyone else into his joy of living. There was another character. I don't know if you remember that Dick Van Dyke played two persons in that movie. That may be news to some of you. Dick Van Dyke not only played the character of Bert, but he also played the character that was Mr. Dawes. He was the elder owner of the bank there in town that the young children, Jane and Michael, their father worked at that bank. One of the scenes in the movie was that Michael had gathered just a few little coins and his father had called him to show him around the the bank. And as he was there, uh, Mr. Dawes realized that it was important for him to teach the child what he needed to do with his money. And so he began to coax Michael to invest his few coins in that bank. Do y'all remember that song that they sang? If you invest your tuppence wisely in the bank, soon you'll see that your tuppence invested in the bank. I've got some of these words mixed up, but uh, you you know the way it goes. And you'll achieve the sense of conquest as your affluence expands and Mr. Dolls can hardly get this out. He's so ancient and he's coughing as he shares this. And he says, all from tuppence, prudently, fruitfully, frugally, invested in the to be specific in the dolls, tomes, mousley Grubbs, fidelity, fiduciary bank. He wants something to put in, in that bank, not just any bank, but that bank. Um, do any of you remember what uh, Michael has on his mind to do with his coins. Mary Poppins had gotten it into Michael's and Jane's mind that it would be okay to feed the birds with that money. And so the pigeons that were outside were going to be the benefiters of that little bit of change. This is not to say that investments aren't crucial and that they are an important part of of living in order to point us toward the future in a good way. But if this takes over our life, as it does for some, then you and I are doomed because we become so fastened to the idea of things giving us contentment The Apostle Paul is teaching this young protege, Timothy, on this subject. And that's why before this letter is over, he says, of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and so we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. I can imagine that either... Timothy was beginning to feel that this ministry idea was difficult for him because he did not have enough or else because he had already set his mind on doing something differently. In the next letter you remember that that Paul is actually trying to entice Timothy to stay in the ministry because it seems that Timothy has turned his mind away from the idea. Was it because he was discontent? Those who want to be rich fall into temptation. It doesn't say those who are rich fall into temptation. It says those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I don't know if you have had this experience in your own life. I suppose that in some ways that you may have. But there are things that we gather to ourselves in our minds that we think that we possess, but then take possession of us. I've shared with you, some of you at least, that I have, for some unknown reason, fallen in love with fishing over this past year. Um, I keep my fishing equipment in my trunk. And so, if any of you see me and know that there's a pond close by, you invite me over and I'll get busy catching those fish. It is a wondrous thing in my life right now. But what is a little scary to me is that not only have I fallen in love with fishing, I am beginning to fall in love with the things with which you catch fish. Have you ever been there with this, right? <laughs> and so, and so my, my trunk is filling up with things. I have to be very careful with this though. Maybe you've had a similar experience, that something that once you admired began to be the thing that began to rule your life. The Apostle Paul says, this is a dangerous place to be. John Wesley preached a sermon when he was almost 70 years of age. He had talked about the use of money and we've talked about that before, but very specifically he preached on this passage And he entitled his sermon, The Danger of Riches. And he said, this is not meant to be just some light illustration, but it is really a calling upon our lives to be a people that are known for their contentment with the basic needs of life. And he said very strongly, he said, think on these things. When God provides for us food on the table and clothing to wear, and he adds to that a place that we might sleep, we begin to invite difficulty when we add to our list that God should also be providing for us other things. This becomes a hardship, not only for us individually, but it can become a hardship for our family, for our community for our nation and our world when we concentrate on what we should have rather than on what we need. Uh, Clarence Jordan, who was the founder of Koinonia Farms and quite a theologian himself over in, in near America's Georgia, He once said, reflecting on the parables of Jesus, that the parables of Jesus are like a Trojan horse. Uh, You invite them in, and then, bam, they get you before you know it. And some of you may remember Jesus' parable of the talents that Matthew records in the 25th chapter, if you want to look that up and read it later. But a landowner calls to himself three of his slaves, and he entrusts to them one five talents, another two talents, and then the last of the ones that he called one talent. These amounts of money that are significant for them to care for. He says to them, I'm going off on a journey. Do what you can with this. I will return to see what you've been able to accomplish. And when he comes back, the slaves, and I want to emphasize that they are slaves, everything that they have belongs to the landowner. None of it belongs to them but they know what their work is. The one who had five talents comes back and he says, I've been able to make five talents more. The one who had two talents comes back and says, I've been able to make two talents more. And then the one who has one talent, you remember what he did with the one talent? He said, he buried it away, you know, because he knew that he was a hard person, you know, and that he would expect at least to get back what he had been given, you know. And this was the thing that the landowner was most upset with because he had done nothing with what he had. That you and I are called to realize that the resources that we have been given are a tool, not just for our caretaking, but for God to utilize for his purposes. You remember the story of Zacchaeus, don't you? This tax collector who was gathering as much as he could in any way that he could When he heard that Jesus was coming to town, already God was working in his heart. He climbed up the tree above the crowds that were gathered around Jesus just to see him. When Jesus looked up and saw this guy in the tree, he said, come on down, I'm gonna be at your house for supper tonight. So Zacchaeus raced down, I'm sure, to his house. He sent the word to the servants, get it ready because Jesus is coming in for supper. At that meal, in conversation with Jesus, Zacchaeus realized, I mean, it really struck him who Jesus was and what he was about. And before the meal was ended, he turned to Jesus and said, I want to make my life right. I've been living for myself. He said, Half of what I have, I'm going to give to the poor. And if I've taken anything in a wrongful way, four times over, I want to repay anybody that I have injured. That is amazing, friends. When God comes into our lives, he turns our sense of what makes us contented on end. Are the things you have, are the things that you own, the things that give you the deepest sense of happiness? What is it that God could do with our resources for his purposes this day? We need a dose of contentment in order that our nation might truly be healthy. As we come to a time of communion, let me remind you that all are invited to be a part of this receiving. Um, And for those who may have such need, We do have gluten-free elements available as well if you'll simply mention that to the servers. Our service of communion is found on page 12 at the front of your hymnal, if you would turn there with me.